was the creation of you and me, of humans, of mankind, womankind. And that's a really a wonderful privilege. And um, I like to say that the most important thing to me is my relationship with Jesus and the love that he has for me. You know, and God has given that to us for all of us. Um, well, last summer, my best friend, soulmate, yes, that's my wife, and I decided to take a trip, and we actually met our daughter and her husband back in Kentucky at the Ark uh, encounter. And that's, you know, it was a special ex experience for us um, to do that. And yes, here we are. Um, I wish I could take you on a tour of the Ark and the Creation Museum, but you'd be here about two and a half days if I did that. So I'm just going to give you a summation of some things. And yes, it was at a presentation there, though, that inspired me to give this presentation here today. And that's an important piece to kind of keep in mind as we think about um, this, the whole thing that I'm going to present to you today. And I thought of a couple things, uh, titles. One was just the more what I'm doing here. Creation is the foundational truth. But then where is that foundational truth? And then he came up with a better title. What's under your house? Or what holds your house up? Or is there something that's actually holding it up? Um, so I do need to say a few things here about this uh, program, this, um, this program that I'm going to present to you. Um, because there's a real crisis today, not only in our nation, but in the Christian church in general. And I'm going to speak to that, not just the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but Christians around the world, but especially in the traditional Christian countries uh, that's there. Um, and, uh, you know, you always often think of, well, what, what are some of the sources that I have um, to do this? Of course, the scriptures, uh, patriarchs and prophets, a book entitled Six Days, Barnard Research, and the American Bible Society. And as a little uh, beginning here, uh, it's interesting to note that according to the uh, American Bible Society in current research, 2022, only 61% of people never opened their Bible, never read anything in the scriptures. So at least 39% that at least read a verse or two during the year. I wonder where we stand on that. You know, stop and think about what that does to our thinking, to our uh, plans, to our attitudes and everything. And I do want to put a little disclaimer here that anything I say today is not meant to be in any way a political statement. Though it could be interpreted that way, but it's not. It's actually how I understand the scriptures, how I understand the truth that are in the scriptures, because Jesus loves every one of us, and he wants us to follow him and to look at what do the scriptures really stand on. What are the great truths that are there? How would they affect our personal lives? How would they affect the life of our country, our society, and our church, and our churches? So as we get started this morning, I'd like to first just pause to ask God's Holy Spirit to really give us understanding. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we open your word, help us to realize that we can't understand your word fully 
without your Holy Spirit. So invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start at the ark. If you've never been there, and I know a few of you have, if you think of the size of a battleship or an aircraft carrier, you're thinking kind of about the size that that is. And the ark is, as it's built, is one of the, in fact, I understand, it's the largest wooden structure in the world that's, that's built that way, all built similar as Noah might have built it, with hand labor um, and craftsmanship. But as we think of the uh, challenges that we face here in, in the world today, um, there's so much, so much question. So, I'm going to go to 1 Peter 3.15. It says, In your hearts, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. Um, and I like this. A reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with how? Gentleness and respect. Now, in the kind of in the religious world, if you want to take that verse into one word, you use the word apologetics. It basically just means, how are you going to defend what you believe? If somebody asks you a really tough question, like, where did God come from? Or how did Noah get all the animals in the ark? How would you answer that question? We're going to look at just a little bit of that today as we uh, go through. Um, Someone who's wrote a lot about creation science interviewed a lot of people about it, said nothing in the world makes sense except in the light of Genesis. And with that thought in mind, I would like to say that the foundational truths of everything we believe in the Scripture is found in Genesis 1 to 11. If you neglect that, if you try to change that or take it away, you've taken away really everything that you believe. I'd like to share a couple of quotations here. The first one from the book, Patriarchs and Prophets. Creation was now complete. The heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. It's interesting. That is not said until after Adam and Eve were created. Then he said it was very good, made in the image of God. The great Jehovah had laid the foundations of the earth, foundations not only of the earth, but of what we should believe. And he dressed the whole world in the garb of beauty and had filled it with the things useful to man. He had created all the wonders of the land and of the sea. In six days, the great work of creation had been accomplished. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And here's another one. This is from the book Six Days. In a world that is increasingly rebellion against God, In a society where the authority of the word of God is being eroded out from under us, the church stands as a light in the darkness. God's people are called together to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ with the world, using the word of God as their foundation of wisdom and knowledge. With the scriptures, we can speak with authority about the issues of our age, just as Christ spoke with authority to those with whom he ministered. And then a quote from Mark. And they were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So I'd like us to note something from, and we're going to compare several things today from the 
Old Testament, New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, think of that fullness of time. What's it talking about? Prophecy being fulfilled in the life that Jesus came at the right time in the fulfillment of prophecy. And so let's go to Genesis, the third chapter, and it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Because right here in this critical scripture, it lays out the truth, the foundation of sin, of death, of salvation. Jesus coming to save us, the great controversy between Christ and Satan as it unfolded here on planet Earth. And so I've kind of put my own little amplified version here, taking from several others. That is, I, God, will put enmity, that's open hostility, hatred, between you, that is Satan, the devil, and the woman, which represented the church, true followers of Jesus, and between your offspring, that's the sons and daughters of men, and her offspring, the sons of God, he, that is the son of God, Jesus, will fatally bruise your, that is Satan's head. And think about it. What happens compared to a head wound versus a heel wound? What? Mortal versus maybe you just limp along a little bit. And that's the message that comes from Genesis chapter 3. And in the fullness of time, that was fulfilled. So let's look at the foundations of Bible truth. Genesis 1 to 11. Um, now I'd like to look at a couple more verses here as we get started. From First Corinthians, This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have done some building. And I've done a little bit. It's not been my profession, but I helped people learn to do a few things. And I was told by my uncle, who was a builder and built a lot of houses, he said, you know, the most important thing is the first corner that you put down. If that is level, if that is straight, then the rest of your house has a chance of being level and straight. If that is crooked, you'll be fighting it the rest of the time. Spiritually, we need to have the right foundation that it's in Jesus Christ. Another one from Hebrews 1 verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. It's interesting. You can go through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and the story of creation is referred to over and over and over again. Um, you see, there is a storm coming. Thank you for reading that scripture, Terry. No, I crossed that word coming out. The storm is already here. You know, when we think about the storm, the hour has already come for you to wake from slumber because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And I believe that's a reference to the second coming of Christ. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever lived in Tornado Alley. When we moved to Indiana, we didn't think it was Tornado Alley, but later we discovered that it was. And uh, if you've ever been in a tornado, you know, there's things about it that you will never forget. Because, you know, like here, they can give weather predictions, and you don't know if they're right or not until you look out the window. But when you live in, in the Midwest, they can tell you there's a tornado five miles away, and it's at the crossroad of road 10 and 59. And in five minutes, it will be such and such a place. Another 
minutes can be there. The next minute it's going to be at your house. Well, hopefully not. But those, that's how precise those predictions actually are. Um, and if you've lived in Tornado Alley or lived places where there's tornadoes, you can look and see when that storm is coming. Now, you don't always know if the tornado will form and touch down. But there is something about a tornado. There's this eerie green sky. If you've lived in the Midwest, you know what I'm talking about. You can look out and you can see the sky change. You can feel it. And you know that storm is coming. And you know when it's right upon you. We could tell you some interesting stories, but I'm not going to. This morning about tornadoes and the threat of tornadoes. The first year we lived in, or- in uh, Indiana, a town was named was Henryville. And after the tornado hit it, they actually put up a sign that said Henryville closed because there literally was no building left standing. And people found some of their receipts literally in Ohio. That's one state over from Indiana. Because the tornado lifted everything they had up in the sky and dropped it who knows where. The world is kind of like that. Um, And then um, Jesus said, Everyone who comes to me and listens to my words in order to heed their teaching and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug and went down deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood arose, the torrent broke against that house and could not shake it or move it because it had been securely built or founded on a rock. Now, I capitalized some things in there because I believe that rock is none other than Christ Jesus. And he was talking about himself. So what starts as a small stream becomes a torrent. And perhaps, if anybody you've been in a flood or near a flood or had your place flooded, okay, a few hands are going up. And may know that often it starts small, and as the water rises, it becomes more and more dangerous. And that small stream eventually becomes something that destroys your whole house. You see, protection, protection is still available to all of us. The invitation is out. It's not too late. Believe God's word. Trust Jesus. If you're not already on Jesus' side, joining his side, because it is the winning side. So, let's look at a storm. Forty-three were dead. Some of you may remember this in the news. It happened in Oso, Washington, March 22, just a few years ago, 2014. There were people that were sleeping calmly in their beds, having no idea that under their house there was nothing but silt. And when the waters rose, many of them died in their sleep. Probably didn't even hardly know what hit them, but maybe they did. I don't know. But it was a tragic loss of of devastation that took place. And uh, some of you may know that. Maybe you knew somebody who was there. Because what was left was down at the bottom of the hill, completely destroyed. You see, the storm isn't coming. It's here already, at least almost. But it could get worse. Let's look at some of the things that are going to happen. And this next little part is going to be perhaps a little informational. But, you know, when we have information, it gives us something that we can do things with. You see, we have a problem in churches today. Adventist church, you name the Christian church. There's an exodus. And if you look at places like where you think, well, this one highlights Canada. Or perhaps this one... Well, actually, both of those do. Uh, this one, the United States. 
Um, think about particularly the people that, as you look around the pews, uh, there's a lot of spots here that could be filled. Um, 20% of people, let's see if this shows, yeah, this one shows it good. 20% of kids that are churched as teens are still spiritually active at 29. That sounds good, isn't it? 20% still active, still. And let me say this about some of these statistics. Statistics only can help us understand things because it does not judge someone's heart. But if you think of someone that's at church, at least you think they're seeking and they're working to know Christ better. So 20% by the age of 29. The tragedy is what happened to the rest of them. 61% that were churched as teens. In other words, they went to Sabbath school, Sunday schools. They were there at church at youth groups. Um, are disengaged during their 20s. Completely disengaged. 19% of teenagers never were churched. If they did go to church, it might have been only once or twice, perhaps to somebody's wedding or a funeral. And still unconnected. Uh, Here's another one, another way to look at some things. And I want to share some of these because it kind of gives us a picture. The greatest generation, now there's not too many of them left. They were born before 1928. 56% of them went to church. The silent generation, those mostly born during World War II, 44% went to church. Lots of us, the baby boomer generation, 32%. So you see a generational thing, what's happening as you look at generations. Gen X, those are born 1965 to 1980, 27%. All those are not that far apart statistically. But when you go to millennials, born in 1981 or later, it drops to 18%. It's kind of interesting when we look at that. Again, well, let me go back there just a second. We can't judge the heart. Uh, but we can see search, and these are research done um, 2010, 2018. Uh, some of it done as recently as 2022. So these are, you know, pretty, pretty up-to-date statistics. Okay, what about the current generation? These are ones that are born in the late 1990s, say 98, 99, 2000, to almost today, known as Gen X. Gen Z, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Get ahead of myself. Um, the intergeneration Z. Research has said this is the first truly post-Christian generation. Because look at one, some, one interesting fact. Atheism doubles among Generation Z. This one makes it more dramatic. These are ones that really identify themselves as atheists. Many of them really don't know what they believe or if they believe anything. Um, here's another interesting one. If you look at generations from millennials all the way back, is that identifying themselves as LGBT and add whatever else you want on that, the most was 9%, but suddenly in Generation Z, notice the jump almost doubles identify with some alternate uh, lifestyles. Here's another one, a Gallup poll conducted for the year 2020. These are quite current. 
classified Generation Z as people between ages 18 and 23, 16% said they were in the category that was not heterosexual. Many of them, they don't know what they are. At least that's what they say. Um, so you see something that's happening here in society, and unfortunately it's happening in the church as well. But is there a reason perhaps that it's happening in the church? We'll look at, at some of that as we go a little bit farther. Um, you see, it seems like administration in America is more concerned about promoting the LGBTQ plus worldview on you instead of protecting the country or protecting us. There's going to be a program uh, conducted. You know, we had one here on how to protect ourselves in case of an active shooter. Go back 20 years. How many of you ever thought about having to protect yourself in a church from someone that just come in and start shooting? We're in a different world today. We're definitely in a different world. There are many people who don't know who they are. For the next generation of those that are in school now and the things that are being taught in public schools, it's truly frightening about what they're going to be like when they get to uh, be grown up. Many people don't know who they are or what they believe. Some just, many people claim they don't believe. But everybody believes something. One individual I know who was the former leader in a church, um, a well-known writer and, and speaker, claims they get light and truth from the sun's light. Sad, it's tragic. Others just say they believe in magic, in whatever. Um, again, this is a repeat of the same one that we had before from a different source. Um, and some of these are put together by Answers in Genesis. Um, and I was able to get a number of their uh, graphics that have just recently been put together. Um, so here you go. Notice again between Gen X and Millennials and on down, there's a dramatic change um, in attendance at religious services. Um, Again, that's an indicator of things that are happening. Um, the world is becoming less Christian. Christ, former Christian lands are becoming less Christian uh, than ever before. So, and these are just illustrations of parts of the country, North America, uh, Great Britain. You think of the places where missionaries went to the whole world. Really, we need to be calling on other countries now to send missionaries to us, uh, to help us out, so to speak. Australia, the same way. It's like Judges 21-25 that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, you know, in their own eyes. They, you know, just do whatever. For the most part, people will say, well, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, we'll just, you know, do it. Um, but is that what we are today? Uh, the fact is, if you can't describe our Western world with this scripture, that's where we are. That's how we describe it. But let's think about all the things that the secular worldview is pushing on us today. I don't need to name them. We don't even need a list of them. You could name them. These are the things that, that current culture is saying, here's what should be, and they endorse it. Um, so what are the problems with, you know, gay marriage, racism, um, the problems that people have. The problem is that people are building, they're thinking on whose word? 
man's word, not on God's word. And so those are the tremendous problems. What's happening we see is a culture that's a tornado of moral revelation, relativism, excuse me, of moral relativism ripping us, dragging down the younger generation. The problem is that people are building their thinking on God's word, not on God's word. That's the crux of the problem. Because we may no longer be children, Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitfulness, in deceitful schemes. Um, that's what the world that we're currently living in. So what happened? Let's look at a few scriptures again. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So who's speaking here? God. So we, we basically come down to two different things. God's word versus man's word. Well, it actually seemed like it came really from Satan. Because here's what the challenge was. Did God actually say you shall not eat? And then it says you will be like God. So which do we want to choose? What man says or what God says? Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is he saying? That basically the same way that Satan tempted Eve and Adam to sin back then is the same way it's going to happen in Paul's day and in our day. You take either God's word or man's word coming from Satan. Did God actually say that? Yes. Now the serpent was more crafty. God actually did say that. Um, and so we can say in a certain way, in our culture today, there's a Genesis 3 attack. You'll either trust in man or you will trust in God. So notice these two bricks are down here at the bottom. What, what's usually at the bottom of the house? Foundation, right? What do we build on? There are really only two foundations. You can either choose God's word or not. Our thinking should be judged by God's word all the time. Uh, the Bible is not a book of stories. We may have thought it is a book of stories. Um, we may have thought, some people would like to say, well, that part in Genesis, isn't that just kind of mythological maybe, or maybe a fairy tale, or just, just illustrative, symbolic of, of things? Um, or do we say that Bible's a history book? Well, history is t subject to a lot of interpretations, right? Uh, or potentially can be. Um, but I like to say we should think of the Bible as an account or the record in the Bible. Not the stories, but the record. It's recorded there for us, God's Word. Um, and we start there and build a worldview that's based on God's Word versus a secular worldview. Uh, if you have the wrong f foundation, you'll have the wrong building, and it won't stand. And by the way, the majority of kids going um, to schools today, and if they're going to church, who's going to have the greatest influence? 
Because at best, you're maybe two or three hours if you're a real, you know, churchy kind of person coming to church. But if you're a student, how many hours a day are you going to be in school? <laughs> probably not quite eight, <laughs> I heard someone say, but probably four to six, right? That you're going to be under the influence of others. And if they're teaching um, against the scriptures, who's going to have the greatest influence? And perhaps, unfortunately, even in churches, many times we try to say, well, you know, we should kind of accommodate some of the things that science is telling us. You know how quickly science changes? Uh, and if we say there's only one choice, believing in millions of years, and there is no other choice, where does that leave you? Well, we better kind of accommodate it somehow with Genesis. Maybe there's two um, creation stories there instead of just one. Or, you know, so there's all kinds of problems that we get to that. Um, and if you don't have the right foundation, if you try to build the foundation of your Christian worldview on man's word, you're going to go uh, get the wrong picture. We're going to have to move along here fairly rapidly. Um, so what can we do? First of all, I'd like to submit there is no neutral position. Um, we think, well, can't you just kind of sit on the fence and say, well, you know, you don't really have to decide. Um, or can you say there's no non-religious position? What is a religion? Religion is something you believe in. That's why atheism, if you're an atheist, you have a religion. If you say you don't know what you believe, then you have a non-belief belief. But some way or another, you actually do have some kind of a belief. Um, and so the challenge is, can we think foundationally? What is at the foundation? What can we build on that? Uh, have we raised up as a church? And we can pick the church, the Christian church, Seventh-day Adventist church even. Have we really raised up a generation to know God's word, to study God's word? Or are we among perhaps even some of that 61% that haven't hardly read the Bible during the last year? So, and that's why the point of um, apologetics is important, and that is learning to really know answers to the problems that the world is facing today. And sometimes we can move ourselves into the church and think, well, is this just us, or are we part of a whole society that has lost track of where the foundation really is? Because even if we're not, how would we think about the founding fathers of our country? And some of them were religious, some of them were dedicated Christians, and some of them were not, and some were probably kind of skeptics. But you know what they still had as a, as a moral foundation? Was God's word, was the scriptures. Uh, and we've really gotten away from that, because um, there really is no neutral position. Notice what Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're either on God's side or we're not. What about our, our personal life? It's the same way. Notice again in, in Matthew 7, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter, are, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You know, we're either for Christ or we're not for Christ. Um, let's look at this. And this is the one that we kind of introduced this with. The man who built his house on the rock was wise. The foolish man built it on what? On sand. 
Do we know what's under our house? Not the house we literally live in, though that would be a good idea to know, but on the house of our beliefs, the house of our spiritual life. Ephesians 5, 8 reads, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Are we really walking in the light of God's love and the knowledge that he has for us? Um, And then Romans 1, verse 18 and 19. This is a key one. I'm just going to read the highlighted part here. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God. Notice this. It says, is plain to them because God has what? In other words, looking into nature, looking into the natural world, looking into science, it's really plain that there is a God. You know, these programs we've been watching on Sabbath afternoon for Vespers really show that. But that's kind of the the surface to see that. But what's underneath that? What's, What's the foundation of that is that God is our designer and creator and sustainer. And the alternate, if you say we can't have God, then you try to come up with something that man has created. And what is that, where does that leave you? But the scriptures say that those things show plainly that there is a God. Um, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In other words, if we don't count God in, then we have to go some other route. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what humans naturally do. And that's why we can say there is no neutral position. You're either for God or you're against him. You're either with him or you're not. Um, And it's a challenge to teach our, our young people. Public education. Let me back up there just a little bit. Public education is not neutral. If the system is for Christ or is it against Christ? Now, interesting, in the United States, um, in fact, my wife and I are listening to a book, and they're talking about someone who taught in a public school. And you know what the requirements were? If you go back a century or so in public school, they had prayer and read a a scripture from the Bible. And they weren't promoting one particular denomination. But that was the basis of of the education. But no longer is that true. In fact, you can teach almost any other religion except the Judeo-Christian heritage and and morals. Um, So that's important to keep in in mind. If the system is not for Christ, then it's against. Um, You see, there is no non-religious position. We all have a belief system of of some kind. Um, So let's think again foundationally. The foundation of Scripture is God's Word. Think about it a little bit. If you're going to build a house, do you start at the roof? No, of course not. You start down here at the foundation, and you build up. Um, Our thinking in every area should be the foundation of God's Word. And the key for that is actually from um, Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, And again, this is that verse we read earlier always being prepared to make a defense, an answer to anyone who asks for a reason, the hope that is in you, ready to give an answer. So what are some questions that we maybe should ask? I'm just, there's a whole list here, and it's a little bit small, hard to read, but I'm just going to pick out a few. Um, and one of those that we'll address, how could Noah fit all the animals on the ark? You ever been asked that? Or ever wondered it yourself? How could all these animals get on the ark? 
I'm going to go through some things fairly rapidly here for one of those. Other questions people have, where is the evidence of the flood? Is there evidence for it? What do you do with dinosaurs? Well, what do you do with dinosaurs that had diseases that are actually recorded? They've just recently discovered that because of the DNA studies they can do. That some of these dinosaurs had terrible diseases before they died and were fossilized. Well, let's look at just a few of these uh, because there's um, general biblical questions and there's creation apologetics. So let's look at this one real quick. The, it's the wrong question to ask, how could all the animals get in the ark? It's how could all the land animal kinds get on the ark? Because that's what the Bible says. Just a real quick lesson here. From the ark encounter, they show you how it can, be, how it can happen. And this is just a little demonstration. Because the kinds of animals that would need to be in the ark is around 1,400, maybe 1,600. And you actually could have room in the ark to store the food, keep the animals on the ark for the time during the flood. Um, so God said, let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds. What's a kind? Let's think of that a little bit more. In Genesis 6, it says, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. Now, it's interesting is in the other passage it says that there were two except sevens of the clean. So somehow, way back there at the time of the flood, they already knew which were clean animals and which were not. Or maybe God demonstrated for it at the time of the flood. Um, now, if you remember your biology, you have all these different you know, ways they classify them. Right kind of in the middle is, a, is a one that says family. And the kinds that would be talked about in Genesis are probably mostly this family, possibly in, in the orders as well. That's the ones that would go in the ark. For illustration, how many different kind, breeds of dogs are there? Well, it depends which kennel club you belong to, right? It's 200-something, and there's a lot of them. But, so there's the dog kind, but you never can get a dog cat. You know, there's dog kinds and there's cat kinds. And yes, there are human kinds. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So let's illustrate. DNA studies, we learn a lot about creation from DNA studies. Um, if you go back to an arch-type dog, you actually have the DNA foundation for all the breeds that we have. But my illustration is that it, so in that arch-type wolf would really have all the characteristics that all the two, three hundred different kind of breeds have. So it would be hard to go from a chihuahua back to a wolf. Just saying. But you can go the other way. Um, and so on the ark, all you needed was one pair of wolves. I'm using wolf, not necessarily that, but maybe the one that was behind the wolf even. Um, and then after the flood, you know, after they were rolled around in the water for many days, many months, and they came out of the, of the ark, they began to breed, and pretty soon there became different ones because there's lots and lots of dogs. And then inner humans who did breeding, and you notice a certain little characteristics, and you find two pups with that, and pretty soon you can narrow that down. And today we see that clearly in DNA studies. Um, so we'll move on rather rapidly. We have many different breeds. We probably each have our favorite or maybe a number of favorites. 
we can trace salvation history through the Bible with the letter C. It's kind of interesting. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, and confusion. Those all were there in Genesis 1 to 11. God created a perfect world. He then came corruption when sin entered, and we're introduced to sin and death, the promise of a Savior, and then came catastrophe. The world was destroyed by a flood. And you can see evidences of that all around the world, which today we don't have time to go into. I wish we did, because it's fascinating to look at all the evidence of the flood from the top of the highest mountains to the depths of the trenches in the ocean. And even big things that are happening today, you can look at it from a creation model and see that the earth is still settling back in after the flood. The ramifications still you know, are taking place and, and changing. Then at the, after the flood, there came confusion. So we're still in Genesis 1 to 11. Tower of Babel. And then Christ came, providing salvation. He came, he died on the cross, and he's promised to come soon. And I believe that is nearer than when we first believed. So let's go on for a number of things. I just want to point out several things because our time is fast getting away from us. But if you have questions, for instance, about what do we do with the gender issue? Where do you turn in the Bible to find an answer? Genesis, right. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. Male and female, he created them. And throughout the Bible, there's over and over, we have that repeated, picked up, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus quoted from Genesis. He created them from the beginning, made them male and female. Uh, several times in Genesis. You know, if someone had a real question, they could do a DNA um, biological study of themselves, find out if they're male or female. Man's actions always lead to what? Death. Death and destruction. Um, what about abortion? Um, you know, that's one our pastor has spoken on it several times here. Um, you know, and this may sound like a, almost like a broken record. Go to Genesis 1 to 11 and you find answers. It says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And those are plural, basically in the Hebrew referring to man and woman. Um, and God uh, brought forth the living creatures, livestock, creeping things, the beasts of the earth according to their, what? Their kinds. And it was so. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So we're told right there at the beginning that human beings are made in the image of God. Um, now, a little biology again. Um, if you look at a biology book, six different kingdoms of life. Well, you know what? They used to have just two. Now they have six. Is that accurate? It actually is not. Because it should include humans. Are we just another animal? Well, there's lots of similarities, yes. But God said we were made in whose image? His image. And so they're really, and that answers a lot of questions about race. Um, so there's really seven kingdoms of life. Uh, 
animals, plants, fungi, um, the little amoeba, protistas, and two different that are bacteria, and then there's humans made in the image of God. Um, and that's an important thing that we should be emphasized. DNA gives us lots of answers. Um, one of the questions that comes up, which I mentioned, was the question of abortion. Um, you see, when DNA is formed to make a new human being in the mother's womb, um, it forms one of two, either a male or a female. And once that is formed, no new information is added. The DNA that made you and me was all in one single cell to start with. It wasn't a part of the mother's body or from someone outside. It was a new cell now to grow and be in the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Fantastic what DNA is teaching us just in the last, say in the last decade, the last five years even. Um, in fact, the information that DNA we're learning from that is so wonderful. So I want to bring a text of scripture in here because sometimes we can look at our life and say, boy, we have really messed up in what we believed and what we've done, perhaps, and what we've supported. But when we go back to the scriptures, foundationally, from Genesis 1 to 11, you know, we can say, boy, I really blew it. But aren't you thankful that if we confess our sins, he, that is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anything that's there, God will cleanse of. How wonderful that is. The psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, God will cast our transgressions, remove them from us. Boy, I'm thankful for that. And God has promised to be merciful for our iniquities. And he says, I will remember them no more. Boy, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? When someone else messes up, can we follow in God's footsteps and remember them no more? Thankfully, God doesn't remember ours. You know, dealing with marriage, it's the same, same thing. If you have a question, go to Genesis, you know, 1 to 11. God formed man of the dust. He breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living creature. And God said it was not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him because he could not find an animal that would, could be a, a, a mate for him. God made uh, Eve especially for Adam, and hence men and women down through time. Uh, I'm just going to go through these rather quickly because our time gets away from us here. Man said, at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Is that just Old Testament? Jesus quoted from it. We're familiar with this one. In the beginning made them male and female. He said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Clearly in the Bible, it tells us that marriage was male and female from the beginning. So we think of all the things that um, the scripture can tell us about uh, and that's so important that we look at foundation. What's the foundation? 
What's, the, what's behind all this? We can deal with death, suffering, disease, all. We can find in the book of Genesis and what it really means. And I'm going to go on here a little bit more, but everything that man touches, it becomes corrupt. What God touched, what God touched was very good. Um, God said that if you are not loyal, if you disobey, if you go your own way, you will surely die. What man's actions lead to sin and to death. Um, after sin, you know, they realized there was, they immediately knew there was a coolness that came over them, a nakedness that came over them, a shame that came over them, a guilt that came over them. Um, and so God made clothing for them and then said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin because sin led to death. Life comes from God. And, you know, here's, here's another one. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Um, and I'm just going to go on here. But could that life that was taken of animals really cleanse from sin? No. It was only symbolic of what would come with Christ. It was impossible, the Bible tells us, but it came through Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Amen. Thankful for the promise of his salvation um, that comes. And, you know, I wish we had time to talk about millions of years. Um, we could talk about the food that was provided for them. But we're just going to skip rather rapidly through several things here that can be dealt with, uh, perhaps at some future time. You know, the, the great catastrophe of the flood, um, things that were buried. You know, how do you find marine life near the top of Mount Everest? Just a good question to, to answer. Or how do you get the Grand Canyon? Uh, Mount St. Helens helped us to understand that you can get the Grand Canyon in a matter of days or weeks. And you can have multiple, multiple layers laid down in a matter of hours. You go down to Mount St. Helens and actually, well, maybe not this time, there's maybe too much snow, but if you go there in the most of the year, well, you can see it all laid out for you there. Um, fossil records favor young earth, not one of billions or millions of years. Um, and that's important. And there, I already mentioned about racism because... God made how many different races? One, Adam and Eve. Um, there came confusion as well. But at the Tower of Babel, they were scattered to around the world. Um, they all came off that ship, and they scattered to the world. And hence, all of us come from the three sons of Noah and Mrs. Noah, uh, and were dispersed around the world. And, you know, in a way, just like... Dogs, all different looking, but they all came from one. Humans all came from one. We may look, have different colors of eyes, of hair, of skin, but we're all of one race, all children of God, all made in his image. All will be restored to his image. And so, you know, we, we think about apologetics. In fact, in every area of science, the, digger, the more they dig deeper into it, the more they're finding the story of creation in God's design um, exemplified and lifted up. Think foundationally. Man's word or God's word. 
in every area. Think about what the world is teaching us today through the media sources, through news, through what's being taught in schools. Um, if we don't believe God's word, it crumbles on man's word. Um, in fact, in Genesis 1 to 11, the devil knows how to use the same attack that worked on Adam and Eve for us today. Don't believe God's word. Introduce doubt. Believe that you will be like a God knowing all. And there you have the whole foundation of man's word versus God's word. Trusting God or not trusting him. Oops, let's go forward here. There is a right way to answer. Arguing in a debate is not it. It's not even effective, often counterproductive. The question is, do we rely on our own experience if it's counter to God's word? All must be subject to God's word. We must trust God for everything. One person put it this way, and you can fill in the blank of whatever different lifestyle they may be in. I'm a spirit-filled Christian and also part of blank, whatever it is, community. I sought the Lord in churches for why I feel or believe or act the way I do. I found the church, nor the church's traditional view fit my experience. Notice what it says here. Of my experience of hearing the Lord speak directly to me. Science, not the church, gave me peace. How can you say my experience of still being a child of God isn't valid? So many people believe in relativism. Just my experience. They don't base it on the word of God. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Loving God first, loving his word, obeying him. Back to our text. The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Hopefully that's true for all of us. You see, in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. What was it like in the days of Noah? It says they were just going on living, eating, drinking, getting married, going about their life until sudden destruction came. It's that same time now. I like to repeat uh, this quote. In a world that is increasingly in rebellion against God and in a society where the authority of God's word is being eroded out from under us, the church stands as light in the darkness God's people are called together to share the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ with the world, using the word of God as their wisdom and knowledge. With the scriptures, we can speak with authority. And I really believe that. You know, we don't have to argue it. We don't have to defend it. We speak God's word about the issues of our age, just as Christ spoke with authority to those with whom he ministered. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The invitation you see to you and to me is still out. Jesus is still calling us that our life might be hid in his. 
You know, I like that theme of that song that says, safe in the arms of Jesus. That is the only place that we can be safe. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I just received a letter from someone, and they concluded their letter with these, the words that I want to conclude our talk together here with. Because they were so pertinent to the day, so important, so current. You see, just over Christmas and New Year's, there were 200 million people in our country with storm warnings. The reports were unprecedented. Unprecedented. Sorry, I can't say that word. But join us as we search our hearts. There is no security in anything that is earthly. Anything that's earthly can quickly be taken away. Those who put their hope in man's ability to save the planet are in greater depression and despair than ever before. Our world is on the brink of a stupendous crisis, and the final crisis, as we've been repeatedly warned, is coming. Everything foretold in our past history has so perfectly come to pass. I am putting my faith in the living Word of God. Prophecy so clearly reveals the climatic, final climatic events that bring chaos to the earth, but usher in the glorious return of Christ. We can see beyond the calamities, the suffering to that bright day, and suffering to that bright day. But it will take an earnest faith that leads to a loving heart relationship with Christ, daily surrender of our will to God. Love for Christ will make following Jesus our highest delight. Then we can rejoice in the glorious hope. So today, choose Jesus. Choose to be on the foundation that's built on his word. Trust in him. Give your heart to him. May God help us to do that today and every day.